What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Mo back with another episode of Up in Flames. Had a little technical difficulty, had to end the live and, and turn back around, but it's all good. We got it covered. You know, like I said, I got my guy, Dad, in the building, the quarterback guru for the Off the Ball Network. Dad, what's going on, bro? What's good, what's good. Yeah, like you said, a little technical difficulty, but we back. Ready to talk some post-draft talk. Yes, sir. So, first thing I want to get into, bro, let's just get straight to it. Let's talk about our team. We're talking about the NFL draft. Let's talk about Cowboys and the Jaguars. We're going to start off with your Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, obviously, it's a new regime over there in Jacksonville. Expectations are kind of through the roof for the future. Future looks real bright for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, how do you feel about y'all's, y'all's draft? What, what, what would be your draft grade for the Jacksonville Jaguars? I would go B+. Plus. But mm-hmm. I feel I'm a little upset because I feel like it could have been better. There were some players there that we could have taken, and I feel like, you know, we missed out on. But, you know, the GMs and the scouts, they're watching the film, so they saw something I didn't see. Uh, you know, we addressed every need. We needed O-line. We needed safety. We needed another corner, and we needed tight end. Um, I, I like the O-line pick. I love – I didn't – at first, I didn't like the Tyson Campbell pick, but when I looked at it, how we're going to run our system, we're going to run a lot of nickels, so we're going to have three DBs, uh, three corners on the field at one time a lot. Uh, one of the only picks I wasn't I wasn't really fond of was the tight end pick. I wanted us to go Briven Jordan over uh, Luke Farrell from Ohio State because mm-hmm. Farrell's more of a possession-type tight end. He's not the biggest guy. He's not going to take the top off the defense, but when you got uh, Briven Jordan, he's the deep threat. So, you know – other than that, I like that draft. I love the Cisco pick in the third round. I said on our pre-draft show, if we didn't get Mo Rig, I wanted Cisco out of Syracuse, so we got our guy, first pick of the third round. And other than that, I'm good. You know, ETN, at first, I didn't really understand the pick, but how we're going to use him is kind of like an Alvin Kamara-type guy and a, uh, a pass-catching back. So him and uh, Robinson can be, a, you know, a nice little one-two combo. So I kind of I understand that in the long run. So overall, I love the draft class. It's just all about these players hit. You know, that's all that matters. The draft can yeah. look pretty. The left, the draft can look real pretty, but if they don't perform on the field, you know, it's it's not it's not a good draft. So yeah, yeah. I mean, one hundred percent. You know, uh, Urban Meyer obviously he came, you know, from Ohio State. We know he's always had a pretty good running back. Uh, and you you had to think. I think he loved Etienne. I know, like a lot of Jaguars fans. You know, there's not a lot that I personally know, but I know a lot of people kind of question the pick. It was some receivers out there. Uh, we talked about Mo Rig, who actually ended up basically falling a lot farther than most of us thought. Didn't think his name would be in there at the second round, let alone, you know, uh, kind of middle of the second round. But obviously, they know some things that we don't. And I think that was the biggest thing behind the Mo Rig falling because he was the third safety taken, which was another thing to consider when, you know, Mel Kuyper, us guys at Off the Ball Network, we had Mo Rig is the best safety in the draft. Obviously, Javon Holland, if I'm not mistaken, was the first safety taken off the board. Good pick. Like, you know, uh, him going to Miami was definitely a good pick. I just felt like Mo Rig was the best safety. But, you know, these GM, they do their, you know, they do their homework a lot deeper than we do because they have to hit or miss. Guys' jobs are on the line when it comes to prospects. So sometimes you just have to trust the process. And linking Travis Etienne with Trevor Lawrence, your quarterback of the future, Obviously, bring Trevor Lawrence down there to Jacksonville. He's from Georgia, so he's not too far from home. But bring him, you know, some familiarity, somebody he's real familiar with, somebody he's real familiar with throwing passes to. So I like the pick. I think they could have went elsewhere. But maybe it pans out. It's tough to say that ETM was the right pick. It's just it's tough for running backs in the first round. I think, obviously, he wasn't your first pick, so it's not that big of a deal. But it's just starting to become more and more that Running backs don't necessarily have to go in the first round. We've seen a lot of quality running backs in the second round, the third round. So, but, you know, to get Trevor Lawrence, his guy, maybe he had a lot of say in that pick. Um, so, I know Urban Meyer said he was looking at Tony. Obviously, he went number 20. Yeah, he went. He was looking at Tony. So, I think Urban Meyer was thinking going offense, and I think his number one at that point was Tony, and I think once he got taken, I know he was looking at ETN. And it's never bad to have a one-two punch at running back. Obviously, we know what Robinson did as an undrafted free agent. But to add another one, whether ETN is the starting back or he's like your third down pass catching back, that's never a bad thing. A lot of elite teams have one-two punches at the running back. Some of them are three deep. 
you know, in the backfield. You look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They got Keyshawn Vaughn, Leonard Fournette, and Ronald Jones. So, you know, it's a running back by committee league, it seems like, nowadays. So, ultimately, bro, I don't I don't hate that Travis Etienne pick. Tyson Campbell was a little, I think, a reach. Uh, I know you like, you know, you guys are going to have three corners. I just felt like there were better, a couple more corners that were better. And so I feel you on the Tyson Campbell. I think he was a reach. It's not that he was a bad corner. I just think when there's a couple of the players that you feel are better at that position, then you get a little like, well, why did we go here? Uh, we'll get, we'll talk a lot about that when we talk about the Dallas Cowboys. Um, obviously, Walker Little, Stanford, you know, that's that's a really good pick. I know, what, if I'm not mistaken, he sat out last year, which is kind of yeah, why he dropped. too. Yeah, so he hasn't played in two years, which is quite, un, which was kind of questionable. But when he played in 2018, it was he was a future first round pick at the offensive line position. So obviously, his health and him sitting out kind of allowed him to drop into that middle of the second round. So I, I agree there. Obviously, you got to protect your investment. You know, obviously Jacksonville needed had needs everywhere. A one in fifteen team. I, they they have some players. They do have some talent. They're not as bad off as their record said. I think once they fix that quarterback position, obviously a huge upgrade over Garner Minshew. That's already going to make the difference. But y'all had a good linebacker. You know, you like Miles Jack. Obviously, y'all got uh, Shaq Griffin to come there at corner also. So that's something to think about. You know, Jacksonville kind of made some moves in the offseason and draft. So if I gave them a grade, I give them a, a A- minus because I like to count free agency and the draft because free agency is prior to you making any moves. And then the draft is like just a nail on the coffin on your offseason moves. So I give them an A minus. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence being like a once in a generational talent has a big thing to do with that. Bro, y'all got the best quarterback in the draft. Everybody's high on him. You know, they think he is the next Peyton Manning, the next Andrew Luck. And if that's the case, if y'all were able to get Peyton Manning, you know, reincarnated in his draft, then that's a huge deal in itself. And then you just putting pieces around him. And, you know, whether you like or love the pieces, you had to put some pieces. It's a new regime, new head coach. Going to be some struggles the first year, but I give him an A-. minus. Um, I think my favorite pick when I look at face value was actually when y'all got Jay Tufle in the fourth round. Uh, I told you that was a really good pick. I think he, I thought he was going to go, like, second round, maybe get lucky and make it to the third round. So for him to go a defensive tackle in the fourth round to you guys, I think that's my favorite pick when I look at face value outside of Trevor Lawrence, obviously. We know Trevor Lawrence is the best pick on the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, draft. But let's move on and let's talk about the, you know, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I like our draft. I wasn't in love with it. You know, I, I give us a B minus, and that's me kind of being nice. I give us a B minus. Actually, I looked at Mel Kuyper. He gave us a B. He wasn't as harsh on them as I was. Michael Parsons is a great pick. Um, but we wanted a corner. We wanted Sertan or J.C. Horn. Carolina kind of threw that off. We weren't sure what they were going to do, whether they were going to go quarterback, put some, you know, the top available weapon of Devontae Smith around Sam Darnold to make sure he has the pieces. But we do know they do have D.J. Moore and Robbie Anderson. So it's not like he was lacking weapons. Obviously, they have Christian McCaffrey. Um, so they, he did. They Sam Darnold has more weapons in Carolina than he ever did in New York. Uh, and that's something to look at because New York actually kind of put some weapons around Zach Wilson. It's like they went all in on Zach Wilson this year and put some weapons around him. So it's crazy that day one, Zach Wilson going to have more weapons in New York than Sam Darnold ever had while he was in New York for three years. So that's definitely something to consider. But like I said, I give us a B minus. I love the Michael Parsons pick. I would have been a lot higher if we would have been able to get J.C. Horner, Patrick Sertan. Linebacker was not our issue. And we went kind of heavy at linebacker. We get Michael Parsons, and then we go get Jabril Cox. I love the Jabril Cox pick in the fourth round. I would have loved it even more if we were able to get J.C. Horn or Patrick Sertan and then got a guy like Jabril Cox in the fourth round. Uh, but I, I look at who we got, Kelvin Joseph. I think that's like our steal, getting him in the second round. A lot of people, he's a, tr you know, he, our first two picks are guys who kind of had trouble pass. Got in a little bit of trouble. He's a former LSU corner who had to transfer to Kentucky. He got kicked out of LSU. So, obviously, an LSU recruit at defensive back has to be like that anyway. He had a, an amazing season at Kentucky. Uh, so, I do love that pick. But then I look at Nashawn Wright. That's my most questionable pick 
of the draft. Mel Kuyper, when I was listening to what Mel Kuyper was saying after we picked him, and he was like, he's my 44th ranked corner. Corner. He's my 44th ranked guy at his position. And we get him in the third round. We get him at the end of the third round. 43 corners were not taken. 20 corners were not taken by the third round. There were so many guys I felt like, but something to consider is um, Dan Quinn. He likes those big corners. He's kind of bringing how he ran the Atlanta defense over there. And he actually did do a pretty good job with DBs. Obviously, he brought two of his own. Looks like we're going to move Keanu Neal to linebacker. So we have a loaded linebacker. You know, Jalen Smith, Van Der Esch, Keanu Neal, Jabril Cox, Michael Parsons. It's going to get real crowded at that linebacker position. And somebody's going to be pretty much asked out. It looks like it might be Van Der Esch because we didn't pick up his fifth-year option. So it looks like he's on a make-or-break year. And I think Jalen Smith might be on notice to get released or traded in the offseason. I think both of those guys are on make-or-break. You basically said it, getting Keanu Neal, moving him to linebacker, getting Jabril Cox, and getting Michael Parsons. I mean, I think you'd have a pretty good linebacker core right there if you got rid of Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith. So we are pretty deep at linebacker. But like I said, the Nashawn Wright was kind of iffy. I love the receiver we got out of Stanford. Ran a high, he was in the high four threes. I think he ran like a four three eight in the 40. Big body receiver, 6'3", about 220. So he, he's got some over-the-top speed. He's a big body. And it was something we got later just as a luxury. Maybe he hits, maybe he doesn't. He's not really going to affect this. If he hits, cool. We just get even better at wide receiver, another weapon for Dak Prescott to throw to. If he doesn't hit, oh, well. You know, we got him in, what, the fifth round. You don't typically look at your fifth-round picks and expect them to make immediate impacts. So what do you think about, you know, my Dallas Cowboys? What was your impression on their draft? Uh, I like it. You know, Jerry did surprise us. He didn't try to, you know, go for the fancy pick or offense. I think, if I'm not mistaken, y'all, first six picks were defense. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I like the Michael Parsons pick. He's a versatile guy that can do anything. Kelvin Joseph, actually, you know, he's a sleeper. Most people didn't know about him before the draft, but he was a sleeper at Kentucky as well. And my favorite pick, as well as your favorite pick, pretty much is the Jabril Cox thing. Uh, most people had him going second round, not getting out the second round. So for him to be available in the fourth round, and y'all to get a linebacker that can do everything as well, he's very good in pass coverage. He can cover any tight end, any any running back pretty much. So I don't know. Like you said, it's a little crowded in that running back room. I mean, that uh, linebacker room in Van Der Esch, that fifth-year option not getting picked up. And, you know, uh, Jalen Smith looked a little lost out there last year. So I think Jerry's, you know, putting a little fire up under their butts uh, to to start making some plays, even though you would think that's their best position group out of all, I think, on defense. But obviously when they watched the tape, they didn't see enough. But, you know, I get, I gave you guys a B. Uh, you guys addressed most of your needs on defense. I like the the guy from uh, South Carolina that played opposite J.C. Horn, Israel. I can't say his last name, but he's a very long 6'4 corner. And I like I think he can translate uh, to the next level. Yeah, and like but, I said, yeah. Dan Quinn, he loved those big corners. So let's just move on. Uh, biggest winners and biggest losers. So let's talk about the biggest winners. Who is your biggest winner? You know, give me one or two teams and why. Who's your biggest winners in this year's draft? I'm going with the Dolphins, and uh, this wouldn't surprise anybody, but the Jaguars. The Dolphins, you know, they Brian Flores has a defense rolling. You know, for them to be able to get an edge rusher will help. First of all, help for uh, Tua, you know, his favorite one of his favorite deep threats in college. Then to go keep an edge rusher in the uh, same city, you know, Jalen Phillips, a great, a great, great player. And then you got a tackle to protect Tua. So you know, I think they're all in on Tua. They're showing that. Um, Brian Forrest, for the most part, Notre Dame linemen are very, very good. So, you know, I, I expect big things out of Liam Eckenberg. And I just think that they did a good job drafting the year before. So I think they're going to follow that up. And they made some good moves to go all in on tour. You know, this is the year for him. They got weapons for him. They got another tight end, I think, Hunter Long in the mm-hmm. later rounds to go on the other side of Gusecki, who's another pass catcher. So I think they're setting uh, them up for success in the Jaguars. Being a little biased, but I just feel like we hit every single need. You know, it's just a matter of these guys paying out. But we hit – going coming out of the draft, I don't think we have a big hole in, in our team. You know, a lot of young guys, I think our average age is 24, so it's just time for the, those guys to get as many reps as possible and go out and ball. So those are my two teams. But there's many more. You know, I could say the Bears as well. I think the Bears did a decent job too. Uh, the Jets, but, you know, those are my t- top two right there. 
Yeah, I agree with you. And like you you hit it on the head. There's so many teams that actually won this draft. Like this was it to be honest, if you didn't nail this draft as a as an organization, this draft was so talented. I mean, you look at day three, and we'll get into some of those guys. Cause there's there's some key guys who could, I won't say instant impact, but later on in the season, you know, year one, you could hear some of these guys' names, potential starters, uh, and things like that. So we'll we'll get into that. But Biggest winner for me, you, you. I had the Dolphins up there. Uh, Jaguars, when you get your quarterback, you get your once-in-generational talent, you got to be up there. But I got to go the Chargers. They're one of the biggest winners. They might be the biggest winner. I had them and the Dolphins as the two biggest winners in this draft. And it, it's for the simple fact, like you said, uh, um, they, they got to protect Justin Herbert uh, with Rashawn Slater, who a lot of people have, you know, there was a lot of people's like 50-50 on him being the best offensive lineman in his draft, uh, the argument out of him and Peeney Sewell. So I got Rashawn Slater being a, a great value pick at 13. They didn't have to trade up to get who they felt like. They, it seemed like the Chargers were set on getting him anyway. His name has been floating around the Chargers basically, you know, the whole draft season ever since the, the whole offseason, his name has been connected to the Chargers. So it wasn't a surprise there. I think my favorite pick for them is Asante Samuel Jr. And the reason, I mean, I love Rashawn Slater, but I look at being able to get Asante Samuel Jr. to a team who, when healthy, has a really good defense. Uh, obviously, Derwin James is supposed to be coming back. Hopefully, he remains healthy because that's, that's been their biggest issue. So I think they got Asante Samuel Jr. as a luxury. He was a guy who I loved the most as a second-round corner. Thought he might even been able to sneak up in that late first round. Trey McKitty at tight end. Obviously, they got rid of Hunter Henry. So to get him another weapon, they went back-to-back -back with weapons for Justin Herbert. Obviously, they got Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. They had Hunter Henry, but he's been, like, unhealthy the past couple years. So I think Trey McKitty will be a, a pretty good tight end. I don't think he's going to be a top five tight end in the league or anything. But when you put a weapon around, when you put a weapon around Justin Herbert, that always shows that you're all in on him. Obviously reigning offensive rookie of the year. So, you know, he had a great season. So you, he's just going to get better off of that. And then Josh Palmer, I think that's a very underrated pick because he, his measurables is everything. He fits. He looks good. He plays good. His problem is he never had a good quarterback in Tennessee. Wide receivers, it's tough for them to be great when they don't even have a mediocre quarterback. We look at the NFL of guys who showed how great they were. DeAndre Hopkins, you know, pre-Deshaun Watson. You knew he was great because he, he was a great receiver with a mediocre quarterback. Obviously, Odell Beckham with the New York Giants and obviously Eli Manning's last couple years. You knew he was great because he had Eli Manning at quarterback and he still was a great wide receiver. So I think, you know, people were looking like, oh, who was Josh Palmer? He wasn't a name that was huge, but like his pro day was really good. And he had a Tennessee quarterback throwing to him. To be honest, I couldn't even name Tennessee starting quarterback. I have no idea. It, it wasn't good. It wasn't in a good situation. Tennessee hasn't been good. In a while, I mean, I think the best they've been was a few years ago with Josh Dobbs, which says a lot because, you know, that's been their best quarter, one of their better quarterbacks in the past few years, and that says a lot. He's like a third-string quarterback over there in Pittsburgh, now that Dwayne Haskins is over there. And then another team, the New York Jets. The New York Jets, they almost pissed me off at how they, how they won this draft. You get Zach Wilson – I think their grade would be higher had they have went Justin Fields. Uh, I think Justin Fields was the second-best quarterback in this draft. I think he was 1B to Trevor Lawrence. But it felt like Zach Wilson was their guy. So, all you know, all praise to him. I hope he plays great. But they put more weapons around him in this draft. Going into this year, he has more weapons around him than Sam Darnold ever had in New York. So I feel like they gave Sam Darnold an unfair chance, and now he's in Carolina, and I think he has some pretty good weapons around him in Carolina. Obviously, they drafted Terrace Marshall. They have DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey. They got Chuba Hubbard. I love them, too. They're another team. I love their draft. But it's like they went all in. Elijah Vera Tucker, they trade up to get him. They still end up getting Elijah Moore who was one of, you know, probably one of the top five to seven wide receivers in this draft, probably top seven wide receivers in this draft. We were surprised he kind of fell to the second round. 
especially because there were a, he fell to the second round because there were a couple teams that didn't take a receiver that we felt were going to take a receiver. The New Orleans Saints and Green Bay Packers. Uh, I had him. Huh? Tennessee as well. Yeah. So, I, and I had him going, you know, I had him going to the New Orleans Saints. I just knew they were going to take, uh, you know, either Rashad Bateman. Obviously, he was gone, but Elijah Moore, Terrace Marshall, like with both of them, sit, you know, sitting there. I thought they were going to go wide receiver. Then they get Michael Carter, the running back out of North Carolina. You put weapons around him. You put a guy who's going to protect him for the next 10 to 15 years. And you put a weapon who could be his number one wide receiver day one. And a guy who's probably going to be the number one running back day one in Michael Carter. We know what that one-two punch was over there uh, in North Carolina these past couple of years with Michael Carter at running back. And then the rest of the the rest of their draft, they went all in on defense. Did they get the greatest defenders? No. But I like Jamie and Sherwood, the safety out of Auburn. Then they went and got Michael Carter the second, the safety out of Duke. They get a cornerback from Pittsburgh, safety out of Florida State, cornerback from Kentucky, the other opposite, Kelvin Joseph. So they just went all in on getting him some weapons early and getting a guy to protect him. Obviously, they got Makai Becton. So that's going to be something. They got Makai Becton and Elijah Vera Tucker. So that's going to be something that Zach Wilson will be protected. The left side should not be an issue. I think they could have got an A-plus and ultimately had the best draft. I think had they have went Justin Fields over Zach Wilson because I just don't see a world where Zach Wilson is really a better quarterback than Justin Fields. So do you got anything before we talk about our biggest losers? Uh, you said everything. Everything you said, I'm, I'm okay with. You know, the Jets did a great job. I think they realized the mistake they made with Sam Darnold, honestly. I honestly think they do. They did because – they went all in, you know. Michael Carter in the fourth round is a steal. He was a dynamic back for North Carolina. He wasn't their best back, but he was a very dynamic back. And yeah. moving up to get your uh, versatile lineman that could play, you know, it's always good to have a swingman offensive lineman, offensive line too, because mm-hmm. you know, to be able to play right tackle, left tackle, guard, you know, that's a guy that can fill in. That's very crucial. So the Jets, you know, they hit the nail on the head. They they attacked all the positions that you need, and they got a first-round receiver in the second round. They just, you know, they hit on all cylinders this draft. So hopefully it can translate to success on the field. Yeah, so let's go to biggest losers. Who's your biggest loser this draft? I'm going to go the Saints. Uh, you know, the Saints, this is a little surprise to some people, but they didn't address some of the needs I think they had. I think they need they need a number of uh, Solidified number two receiver, and I think they needed help in the secondary uh, with the departure of Janoris Jenkins on the other side of Lattimore. Um, my guy, uh, PJ, my guy, PJ Williams. You know he's a Florida State guy, but he doesn't produce as well as he should. So I think they needed to find a cornerback number two, and they could have gone either way. There was a lot of there was a lot of good receivers that slipped. You know Elijah Moore, uh, Terrence Marshall at that pick they had, and there were some potential quarter cornerbacks they could have gone to get. So you know. Not getting the cornerback until the third round really kind of, you know, did it for me when that was one of their biggest needs. But, you know, Sean Payton does a good job evaluating uh, the needs on the team. So if he felt like he needed to go D-line, I guess that was the way to go. And I'll add another end, the Packers again, you know, not surrounding Aaron Rodgers with a receiver, which he's, which one of the things, you know, he's always needed. He makes Lazard and Scantling look like good receivers. But, you know, imagine what he'll do with a, a first-round talent. You know, so uh, just another another year wasting wasting Aaron Rodgers' career, and I think he's just fed up with it. You know, that, which is one of the reasons why he wants to be out. So taking Eric Stokes with the first pick, which is a reach because I feel like we got the better Georgia corner in Tyson Campbell, and a lot of scouts graded Tyson Campbell as a better corner. So you know, for them to reach and not try to help Aaron Rodgers, you know, that's uh, that's not good. But they've shown time and time again that they don't really care. You know, mm-hmm. they don't they don't want to support the quarterback. So uh, I'm interested to see where they go from here. And, uh, it's it's looking like it's going to be an ugly end in uh, Green Bay. Yeah, and I agree with you. Green Bay is my biggest loser. And if we if we go and rank their draft, probably it was probably bottom five, but it wasn't the worst draft. But the minute they took Eric Stokes, I felt like they lost. You you had Terrace Marshall available. You had Elijah Moore available. We talk about he wanted a first-round talent at wide receiver. And obviously in our mock draft, we had Green Bay taking a receiver. And it's not about is that their biggest need. 
I think so. Obviously, Devontae Adams is a star. But a lot of these teams have two, even three receivers. You look at Atlanta, they got Julio and Calvin Ridley, and they go get Kyle Pitts. You look at the Dallas Cowboys, they got Amari Cooper, uh, CD Lamb. We go get CD Lamb last year, even with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. We we just there's a lot of teams who are got one two punches, even three deep at wide receiver. You look at the Cleveland Browns, they got Odell and Jarvis Landry. I know Odell was hurt last year, but then they even get the guy from from Michigan. Then they get another receiver this year. The Tennessee Titans, to me, were another loser because they didn't get. They waited to get Dre Fitzpatrick. That's their that's their other wide receiver opposite AJ Brown. They let go of Jonu Smith at tight end. I felt like they waited too late to get a wide receiver. They got Caleb Farley at corner, which could be really good, but he has some medical concerns. But obviously, if he's healthy come the season, obviously if he's healthy come the beginning of the season, it's not really that big of a deal. And then the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I'm sorry, Stu. I know you convinced yourself that you love the quitty pay pick. I did not. Defensive end was not the, the Colts defense was not the biggest concern going into this draft. I think it was they could have added another offensive lineman. They could have added a corner. So I mean their defense wasn't the biggest concern, but I think they could have added a corner. There were some good edge rushers that would have been available in the second round that you didn't have to go quitty pay. But my biggest thing is you got Carson Wentz. Who is he throwing the ball to? Like, T.Y. Hilton is old. He's kind of washed. Michael Pittman Jr., I love that pick last year for them. But then you have – you you could have got a Terrace Marshall or Eliza Moore. Like, I'm going to keep beating the drum that you had Terrace Marshall or Eliza Moore sitting there opposite A.J. Brown. I don't care if you – oh, we don't want another big-body receiver. Then go get Rondell Moore in the second round. Do what you got to do. Put weapons. Ryan Tannehill is good. He's not great, but he's going to be even better when you have Derrick Henry in the backfield, A.J. Brown, and Terrace Marshall or Elijah Moore opposite. That's going to make him even better. Tennessee was a good team. He's a good quarterback, but it's going to make him better when you get a good quarterback and put more weapons around him. It's going to make him that much better. That's just – how it goes. Peyton Manning was elite, but what made him one of the greatest was he was one of the greatest talents, but also he had Marvin Harrison. He had Reggie Wayne. He had Dallas Clark. He always had weapons to throw the ball to in his career. He goes to Denver. He had Emmanuel Sanders. So there's so many things that like you got to put weapons around these guys. And the only way I go, if you go offense and you don't put a weapon is you get a guy to protect your quarterback. I'm always okay with that. If you be like, you know what, I want to protect my quarterback a little more than I need a weapon because these weapon is so loaded. The drafts be so loaded with wide receivers. You can settle, but you got Quiddy Pay. I think he's a really good player. I just don't think his ceiling is going to be that high. I think you're going to get what you're – I think he's going to be a consistent guy who's a good contributor, but I don't see no great trait from him. I don't see him being a great player. I see him being really good, feasible, you know, long tenure starter, but that's about it. I don't see perennial pro bowler. And I'm not saying I would have seen that as Elijah Moore or Terrace Marshall. I think they have that with A.J. Brown as a perennial pro bowl receiver. But as my second option, I think we'd be pretty well off with a Terrace Marshall or, you know, Elijah Moore. Like I said, especially Elijah Moore, I think he would have really fit being a smaller, speedy receiver alongside A.J. Brown, who we know he's a big body, go over the top, and he's got some speed to him. So, I think that's a you know I think that's something to look at. Uh, anybody else that you feel like really lost? Because I think Pittsburgh really lost too. I, I definitely yeah, think you Pittsburgh. You said what? Pittsburgh. Why do you say they lost the draft? I mean, they didn't address a lot of needs. I like the Najee Harris pick. Outside of the Najee Harris pick, there's not much that I loved about what Pittsburgh did. I mean, just give me – if I go to what they got, they got Najee Harris, then they get a tight end from Penn State. Not for they, yeah, they, didn't need, they didn't need it. Like, I understand – you didn't need weapons, honestly. You have – you're loaded at wide receiver. We've seen how good they were with their weapons. We knew they needed a running back if you were going to go all in on offense. Oh, I might even – yeah, you needed O-line. You waited till the third round. I mean, I get it, but you took a tight end over a second-round Offensive lineman. There was still some good offensive lines. So you wait till the third round to address your offensive line. And you only get two of those guys. And then I think they they might have been better off in the third round shooting for a Kellen Mond or you know, guys went quarterback crazy in the third round. And, and I know they have three picks. 
Yeah, and because once Kyle Trask, you know, went at the end of that second round, it's like everybody went quarterback crazy on day three at the very beginning. Obviously, we've seen Kellerman go to Minnesota and, and things like that. So uh, Houston took a quarterback because we don't know what their QB situation is. But I just felt like maybe you could have got a backup quarterback. I know they got Dwayne Haskins, so maybe he turns things around, and that's why they didn't really focus on the backup quarterback. But then you, you should have went offensive line early. After Najee Harris, you should have went offensive line. That should have been your next pick. We know they won 11 in a row, but then it was just downhill from there. Big Ben is like, it's at the end. No matter how loaded they are, I think he's going to be the downfall of the Pillars. Pittsburgh Steelers' success. I don't know how successful they're going to be with Big Ben. It's about time he retires. Phillip Rivers called it quits. Eli Manning has called it quits for a couple of years now. It's just it's about his time that he does the same thing because he's kind of holding this, the, the franchise hostage by continuing to come back because you can't give up on a guy like that who's giving you two Super Bowls. Obviously, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's giving your franchise two Super Bowls. We know what he means to the Pittsburgh Steelers franchise, so they're not going to move on from him until he's ready to move on. But I think it's about time for him to move on, and I think you could have arguably got his replacement because I don't know if, if Dwayne Haskins is the answer. He could be. He's going to have a year unless Big Ben gets hurt. He's going to have a year to learn behind him. Obviously, I think Mike Tomlin you know, will be a good uh, head coach for him. I think he'll be a good mentor for Dwayne Haskins to kind of turn it around. And I think maybe he, he's at a franchise that'll believe in him a little bit as a backup quarterback. And maybe he does, you know, they're going to hand him the keys. Obviously, he got drafted to me by a franchise that never believed in him in the first place. And then they hired a new head coach. And obviously, that wasn't his guy. So he wasn't really in love with Dwayne Haskins. And then he has some maturity issues. So I think that's why the Steelers kind of were another one of the losers. Right down there with the Saints the Colts, um, you know, the Green Bay Packers. Like I said, once they took Stokes, I, I felt like they lost because they sent the message. Clear as day, they sent the message. They don't care. On the day that Aaron Rodgers complains and says he's not going to return, they didn't even do their due diligence and say, you know what, we're pleading to keep you. We want to keep you, but we're going to go get a corner. Like they, they were saying they, they flew out this house three times. They never got no answers. And then – they don't get a wide receiver. Like, it just makes no sense. Like, I don't know what they got going on in Green Bay because the minute they trade Aaron Rodgers, they don't get a feasible starter. And that's another reason. That's another reason why I have them losing because they San Francisco uh, allegedly, I don't know how true this is, but we've been hearing San Francisco called about Aaron Rodgers before the draft. When they heard he was unhappy, they gave him a call. They offered that third, that number three pick. They offered the number three pick and a few other things. I heard it was Jimmy G, the number three pick, and some things. I don't know what the and some things is, but at the very least, even if you believed in Jordan Love, you could have got the number three pick, had Jimmy G to be another outlet for one more year until Jordan Love is ready. You could have got Kyle Pitts. You could have got Jamar Chase. You could have got my. Uh, you could have got Michael Parsons. There's so many. If you want to go defense, there's so many defenders you could have got. And then you end up getting Eric Stokes. Like, if you wanted a corner, you could have got J.C. Horn at number three. And it would have been a reach there anyway. But at least, like, okay, they traded up. They're off of Aaron Rodgers. They're on to the next. We all would have thought it would have been stupid had they took a corner over a Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase when we know they have an opportunity to take that kind of player. But even still, like, you gave up the number three pick to get one of the best players in the draft, whoever you thought was one of the best players because you weren't gonna if if you weren't gonna draft the quarterback, you were gonna get the best guy at their position. We knew Trevor Lawrence was one. We knew Zach Wilson was two. Obviously, three. You were gonna get who you felt was your number one guy at any position that you decided to draft. And now you might end up having to give up Aaron Rodgers for nothing. Like you're not gonna get much. You you. It's gonna cost you a couple first round picks. I get it. But you could have like started your future. And whether you think Jordan Love is that guy or not, then you could have got Trey Lance. You could have got Justin Fields. Like there's so many scenarios the Packers could have did, and they would have had a Jimmy G to be a feasible starter for a year or two to get a Trey Lance or Justin Fields acclimated to the system and things like that. So I, I just I don't understand what Green Bay's doing. And now you're talking about you might trade him. You may you could end up trading him. And yes, he's going to be very pricey. But at the same time, now that everybody knows he doesn't want to be in Green Bay, the price goes down. Like, they they might just let it wait to fall out where Green Bay backs themselves in a the corner. I know we know what the Rams had to give up for Stafford. The Colts barely had to give up anything for Carson Wentz. But I'm not putting Rodgers in, in the same sentence as Wentz. 
But what I'm saying, teams are just going to let it collapse. And I don't see them giving up the most. You know, I heard the Raiders were interested and would give up like Derek Carr, a first-round pick and a third-round pick. That's not that high of a price for Aaron Rodgers, who if he goes to Vegas, they turn into Super Bowl contenders just from having Aaron Rodgers on the roster. He's that kind of guy. You have a chance of winning a Super Bowl. I'm not saying you will, but you have a chance of winning a Super Bowl once Aaron Rodgers enters your franchise, unless he goes to, like, the New York Jets, then obviously they're going to win some games, but he's not going to uplift them over all those AFC powerhouses with hardly any talent around them. But yeah, enough about any, any other team, Any other team that Aaron Rodgers goes to, they're an instant contender. Yeah, like outside of, like, the Jets. But even yeah. still, I like with what the Jets did in this draft. If if he was able to get throw the ball to Elijah Moore and had uh, Carter as his running back, he might be able to make something shake. I mean, I don't know. But, you know, enough about Aaron Rodgers. Let's talk about the steals of the draft. Uh, there was some there was some really big steals, in a sense. So I'm going to get with you. Who's, your, who's two, three names that come to your, to, to your mind as far as steals of the draft? For me, I got three people, and they all went on day two. Uh, I got JOK going to the Browns, Christian, Christian Barmore going uh, to the Pats, falling to the Pats. And I got uh, Trayvon Motrig, my guy, going to the Raiders. Mm -hmm. JOK, you know, the Browns, shout out to them. I'm sorry. I can't believe we missed on this, but that was one of my teams that hit on the draft. They addressed they, this offseason. Like, they won. They, they're one of the top five teams for this offseason. They addressed yeah. every defensive need. Uh, JOK is a guy, like, linebacker was a position of need for them. You know, Mac Wilson, he's a young guy, but he's been struggling early, so they're looking to get some help on that side of the ball in that position group. And JOK is a guy that can do it all, a real versatile guy that's going to uh, bring some fire to that defense, you know, along with John Johnson and Troy Hill, the people they added. They got Newsom in the first round. So Browns are all in on defense, and I feel like that was a steal, you know. Uh, word came out that he dropped because of some medical, some heart concerns, and that was they confirmed that was the reason he dropped. So, you know, shout out to the Browns. It's, it might be a blessing in disguise for them, uh, you know. A great player, a, first, a guy that was – Mock to go 18, 19, not even to fall out the top 20 to, for them to get him at 52, I think, if I'm not mistaken. That's that's a good deal. Uh, Christian Barmore, the best D tackle in the draft, if I'm not mistaken. You know, he had eight and a half sacks at Bama. Uh, gives me a lot of Quentin Williams vibes, you know, uh, a very athletic three technique and nose guard. They can, you know, this very slippery. In the, uh, he can get pressure in the pass game and be very uh, good in the run game as well. And, you know, Bill Belichick, he loves his Bama guys. He's going to I'm pretty sure he's a hard worker, a good, uh, good fundamental kid, and he's going to get the best out of him in that New England system. So they got a plugger there, and you know, and it's uh, another guy that wasn't supposed to fall out the first round. So still for them, and Trayvon Murray, the best, the best cover in safety that can do it all. You know, he can cover, he can tackle, which is always vital as a safety. You don't want a guy; he's the last line of defense. You got to be able to break down and tackle. So uh, he can do it all. He was the highest graded uh, safety and pass coverage by Pro Football Focus in the Power Five. So for the Raiders to get him and put him on the other side of Carl Joseph, I like, I mean, Carl Joseph and Jonathan Abram. So, you know, a nice little safety tandem they got down there in Vegas. And for him to drop down to 41, I mean, 43 kind of made me mad because I, I was interested to see. I don't know if we would have taken him at 45, but, you know, it would have been interesting to see. But those are my three guys. And I think all three of those guys are day one starters. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. First off, we kind of questioned Cleveland's pick. Uh, like you said, JOK, I know it came out that he had heart issues. Obviously, we were all sitting here wondering, like, how did he not go in the first round? Like you said, this is a guy who wasn't expected to make it out of the top 20. Now, all of a sudden, you know what I'm saying, he's, in, he's taken in the second round by Cleveland, who would have been justified by taking him in the first round. That would have been a nail of a first-round pick if they would have took JOK in the first round and you end up getting him in the second round. So that makes the Newsom pick look even better because obviously they've had some health concerns in their secondary because they, they got Greedy Williams. They just signed Troy Hill. They have Denzel Ward, who went healthy, is a top five to seven corner in the league at his position, um, went healthy. But they have some health concerns in their secondary and they addressed that with Newsom and still got one of the best linebackers in the draft in the second round, which is crazy to say that he's going to be one of the best defenders. You know, he was one of the best ranked defenders in the draft, and they got him in the second round. So that's pretty crazy to me. One of my steals of the draft, and I wouldn't be 
Mo up in flames, Murphy. If I didn't have an episode where I mentioned an Ohio State Buckeyes, everybody wants to point it out. So count another episode that you can't find that I bring up a Buckeye. Sean Wade. And here's what I said. I preached about Sean Wade, and I, I acknowledged his disappointing season last year. 100%. His season was 100% disappointing. But what's the thing I've been saying? His best Welcome. years was safety and nickel corner, playing corner and the slot. And what is he? He has either of those two options. Baltimore is going to know how to use him. He's going to play in the slot. He's going to be in the nickel corner. His best year was a nickel corner playing in the slot, obviously alongside Damon Arnett and Okuda. He's going to be Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters got the outside covered. They're fine there. And they got Sean Wade in, what, the fifth round, and he he's potentially could be a starting, yeah, at the end of the fifth, he potentially could be a starting nickel corner. Obviously, you wouldn't, you with his disappointing season, he should have went into the league last year, and he would have been a late first, early second round pick. That was his grade, was like, it was more early second round. He didn't love it. He wanted to prove, there were questions about whether he could be the number one corner. So he wanted to prove to the world, because had he proved that he was a number one corner, coming out of Ohio State, a number one corner, Top 25 pick in the draft. Obviously, we see when they have number one corners, we see where they go. Okuda goes number four last year. Denzel Ward went in the top 10, you know, the year prior. Damon Arnett was able to actually sneak. And it was a little bit of a reach for the Raiders at the time. Didn't think he'd make it like at what I think 18 or 19 uh, in the first round last year. So, I, or number 17, something like that in that area. But obviously, they felt like that was a reach. But that's what happens when you're a dominant corner at a school like Ohio State or Alabama or LSU, you're going to get that benefit of the doubt because they produce great defensive backs. So if Sean Wade was able to prove that, he would have went from being that second-round guy to arguably being a top-15 pick. Clearly, it was 100% disappointing, but I think to get him and be that nickel corner right here is going to be perfect, and he could be a day-one starter for the Ravens because he's going to play in his position, the position of comfortability. And that's the nickel corner. And I think he's going to be really good there. Obviously, Baltimore, they, they've been a defensive, like, they, they've been a defensive team my whole life. So, obviously, it's not a surprise that they go there. But, like I said, they have Marlon Humphrey and, and Marcus Peters on the outside. So, obviously, getting him to go in the nickel corner at the end of the fifth round, and you might have got a guy, had he had a great season, he could have been a first-round pick. But, like I said, he didn't, so he falls to the fifth round. I think that's one of the biggest steals of the draft. I agree with all your steals. Like I said, I agree with JOK, Mo Rick, because he was a first-round safety, and he was the third safety taken off the board. Um, so, obviously, I had him as the best safety. So did you. You wanted Jacksonville twice to take him, and they passed up on him both times. You wanted him instead of the ETM pick. Then it looked like, okay, they're going to be able to get him in the second round, so now they're really about to win. And they passed up on him and got Tyson Campbell. I know you were upset about that, especially because they went DB anyway and they didn't go who you felt like was the best DB available at that point. So I do think the Raiders got a steal in Mo Rig at the at the point that they got him. But those are those are a couple of my steals. I mean, I, there's steals all over the board. Like I said, this draft was loaded. Like I think Akelin Mond was a steal. When you look at like he went in the third round, and I'm not, it's not that. I guess he went where he should go, but he went to Minnesota. Like, they were able to wait to the third round to find a guy who could possibly be the successor to Kirk Cousins, and he, they got him in the third round. He could be really good. He has some Dak Prescott-type traits to him. I'm not going to say he's going to be Dak Prescott, but Dak went in the fourth round. Obviously, he got in some trouble, but he went in the fourth round. Look at, you know, he's a $40 million quarterback. Whether you agree or not that he should have got that money, he played great his first four years and was able to get a second contract with the same team. Obviously, like, the only one out of his draft class that was actually able to do that. Uh, and he was in the draft class with Carson Wentz and Jared Goff and those guys, and they're no longer with their team. So I think Kellen Mond was kind of a steal uh, when Minnesota already has a guy who could be the starter for the next two to three years. And they drafted him in the same situation that they drafted Dak Prescott. We expected Tony Romo to be there for about two to three more years. And Dak take the keys after that if he panned out to be good enough. So I think Kellamond is actually going to be the same type. I think Kellamond is actually going to be the same way. Hopefully, Kirk Cousins doesn't get hurt before, you know, year one of his 
of the season before week one of the season so he doesn't have to come in and be the starter but i do love kellamon to the vikings so let's move on to our final topic we've talked about all the rookies we talked about the steals the winners losers so let's talk about who's going to be the best rookies who is your offensive rookie of the year this might surprise some people as a jaguars fan but i'm going to go away from trevor lawrence and i'm going with Najee harris from the steelers i think that you know, with Big Ben getting up there in age, you know, his arm's not the same. He still has an arm. I don't know why people say he has a noodle arm. He, he doesn't. But, you know, he, Najee Harris has, has shown his senior year he's good He's good in the pass-catching game as well. And, uh, you know, Big Ben is known to dump it down. So I feel like he's going to get a lot of touches, you know, in the red zone. I, I could see him going for, you know, maybe 1,200 yards on the ground and maybe – maybe 400, 500 yards in the air because Big Ben, he's going to catch a lot of angle routes, a lot of a lot of swing passes, a lot of wheel routes, stuff like that because Big Ben needs to get the ball out of his hands. So I could just see him, you know, getting a lot of touches and ending up in the, in the red zone. I think I think that's all they're going to because they don't have that big body receiver, you know, that one-on-one type guy. So mm-hmm. in the red zone, I think that's all him. Uh, all those carries will be going to him. All those touches will be going to him. So I could, I could, I just have a good feeling that he's going to have a breakout season, you know, with the way Big Ben has been playing and with how, the way he played last year. So I think he's going to be a three-down back, and he's just going to see the ball a lot. And I think that's going to result in him being offensive rookie of the year. What's your thoughts? Uh, I, I, I see why you say Najee Harris. That's not who I would have. That's not who I have as rookie of the year. I, he's a candidate, and, and I wouldn't be surprised based on everything you said. I just don't know if Pittsburgh, with as loaded as they are at receiver – and clearly they still have some type of belief in Big Ben. I don't know how much they're going to run the ball. Obviously, I think Najee Harris is an upgrade over Connor, so that's an incentive to run more. But their offensive line isn't that great, so I think that's a cause for concern. I'm not saying Najee Harris needs to be a guy who has to have a great offensive line to be great. Obviously, he did at Alabama, so but I'm not saying he's the guy who has to have a great offensive line to be great, but it's just tough for me to say a running back is going to be the best rookie offensively when the offensive line is in question. You look at when Zeke Elliott was the running back. We had a loaded offensive line, so obviously it was a lot easier for him. He had 1,600 yards his rookie year, but he had an elite, you know, arguably probably the best offensive line that year. So it was a little bit easier for him. He didn't have to put in, like, as much work. He wasn't taking as much of a pounding running the ball, and obviously we didn't know how much we believed in Dak Prescott at the time. We didn't know how good he was going to be, so we looked at having Ezekiel Elliott for a guy like Dak Prescott to be able to hand the ball off to. So I don't know about Najee Harris, but I agree with our guy Warzone Sports. My guy is Jamar Chase. First off, I look at who's throwing him the ball. Joey Buckets. Joey Buckets is throwing him the ball. I think they addressed the offensive line enough that it might not be that biggest concern because obviously we feel like they went Jamar Chase. A lot of people feel like they should have went Penny Sewell out of Oregon. I'm not opposed. You know I love my wide receivers and I love my DBs. I'm not opposed to Jamar Chase obviously playing, you know, going to Cincinnati. That's Joe Burrow's guy. I feel like that pick showed everybody Joe Burrow got the keys to Cincinnati. They went and got him. Their defensive tackle they got was out of LSU. Obviously, before the draft, they signed Thad Moss. To me, that just shows that Joe Burrow has the keys. They went like LSU heavy. He wanted Jamar Chase. I think everybody else up top in the Bengals organization wanted to protect Joe Burrow. But I think he was one of those, I got to have an elite weapon. I got T. Higgins. I got Tyler Boyd. Now, give me that guy who's going to be elite. Give me that true number one receiver. And I think that's going to be Jamar Chase. It actually was tough for me because I think it could be Kyle Pitts too. Kyle Pitts don't have a – the same reason I think Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts don't got no bum throwing him the ball. Matt Ryan is not a bum. They don't really have a running back. You got Calvin Ridley. You got Julio for now. They may – you know, they've been taking calls on Julio, which could be even more of an incentive that Kyle Pitts could win rookie of the year because he got Matt Ryan throwing him the ball. He's going to benefit – a lot of these weapons actually got some type of quality quarterbacks throwing them the ball. Uh, obviously, you know, Jalen Waddle has Tua. He's he's on notice. We don't know how good he is. But he's not the worst quarterback you can have throwing you the ball. So, obviously, a lot of these guys who did get drafted actually went into decent situations. Devontae Smith has Jalen Hurts. You know, the jury's still out on Jalen Hurts. We don't know what to make of him, but he has a full year as a starter. Got him a top-quality weapon, so we'll see there. 
Devontae Smith could be another one. I just think it's going to be one of these guys catching these balls because they're going to be catching balls from good quarterbacks, decent quarterbacks, however you want to look at it. But Joe Burrow is going to be throwing the ball to Jamar Chase. That was his number one weapon at LSU when he had Jamar Chase, Thaddeus Moss, Terrace Marshall, and he had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire coming out of the backfield. And that was still his number one option. I think that's going to remain that way in Cincinnati. And barring Joe Burrow getting hurt, I think Jamar Chase will be the offensive rookie of the year. What do you think? I don't agree for, you know, it's it's not that Jamar Chase is not a dog. I think he's the best receiver in this draft. He was his third best offensive player in the draft. But I think Joe Burrow developed a nice connection with T. Higgins. And, you know, Tyler Boyd is a nice young receiver. They signed him to another extension. I mean, extension, I think, about a year ago. So I think it's just, you know, he has three receivers. He's going to spread the ball around, and I don't think he's going to – I don't think he's going to have much success in year one, you know, as much success as people think. I don't think he might go for a thousand yards, but not like a Justin Jefferson type, you know, 1400 yards. I, I don't know. I could see, I could see him, you know, having a breakout season, maybe in year two or three, but you know, too much, too many weapons to spread the ball around. Same for Kyle Pitts, Uh, Julio and Calvin really, you know, they're going to get their targets. So I don't, and that offense, like I could see if, they only had one receiver, but they have two number ones. So I don't see Kyle Pitts getting anywhere over. Like, you know, he might get 50 catches this year. I know that sound, that might sound crazy, but I just think Julio, Ridley, Gage, and, you know, they, they keep a balanced attack, so they don't throw the ball as much. So I, I just don't see him getting as many targets. Maybe yeah. once they played Julio, mm-hmm. I see him breaking out. But while they have Julio and Ridley, I don't know about that. He's going to be the third. He's going to be the third option for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's just I look at the guys throwing them the ball. That's my biggest thing is these guys landed where there's not bums back there as, you know, play callers. And I think for successful receivers early is about your quarterback. Not everybody is going to be a DeAndre Hopkins or, you know, end up being a Devontae Adams. But you look at Devontae Adams, he had Aaron Rodgers throwing him the ball. Uh, Obviously, you look at Michael Thomas and he had Drew Brees throwing him the ball. So I don't expect, but I look at Joe Burrow. He's up and coming. He's going to be a great player before his injury. He showed that hopefully he shakes back from that injury and is the Joe Burrow that we expect to see. I think my dark horse on the offensive side of the ball is Justin Fields. I have to go that route. I look at him in Chicago. You got Montgomery at running back. Um, you have, you know, Allen Robinson, who I think is a very underrated wide receiver one. Maybe they end up, maybe they end up being able to keep him now that they have Justin Fields. Cause I feel like Allen Robinson didn't really want to sign a long-term deal. And that's why they franchise tagged him because I don't think he wanted to waste the rest of his career catching passes from either a Mitch Trubisky or B like not knowing who his quarterback's going to be. I don't think he loved Nick Foles. Obviously, they signed Andy Dalton, the red red rifle, and I don't think he loved that. So I think he was like, I don't want to stay here. But now that they have Justin Fields, I mean, who was it, Eddie Jackson or safety set? About damn time we got a quarterback. So obviously, you know, that's like a shot at Mitch Trubisky. But maybe that's the thought process around Chicago is, you know, it seemed like there was something in the air, you know, in the Windy City once they were able to move up and draft Justin Fields. And I look at, I don't think he'll be the week one starter. But neither was Justin Herbert. But then Tyrod Taylor was injured. I think he, what, punctured his lung. And that opened the field for uh, Justin Herbert to ultimately win Offensive Rookie of the Year and have a great season. And he he had some weapons. You know, we had Keenan Allen, who I think is a little bit better than Allen Robinson. But I don't think the gap is as far as everybody thinks. There's just a difference when Keenan Allen was – catch a passes for Phillip Rivers, and then gets the turn and have a really good rookie uh, quarterback at Justin Herbert. I think there's a difference where Allen Robinson been catching passes from Mitch Trubisky the past couple of years. And then obviously, in his time, yeah, obviously his time, I was about to say his time in Jacksonville with Blake Bortle. I just don't think he's had that quality quarterback and he has a possibility. I don't think Chicago has a good roster. It's not great. They just made the playoffs or they, they they missed the playoffs last year. No, they made the playoffs. They lost to the Saints in the world. Yeah, they made the playoffs and lost. I know it was at eight and eight, so it was kind of uh they, they just snuck in. But they don't they have a really good defense. And the problem was their quarterback play. Montgomery had a couple monster games. I'm not saying he's an elite running back, but he had a couple monster games that he's a feasible running back back there. And then like I said, they have some weapons. They have Allen Robinson. Uh, and then they have uh, Anthony Miller. So I do think that 
Justin Fields is put in a better situation. Their offensive line was kind of questionable, but then they got Tevin Jenkins. So I do love that for Chicago as you got your quarterback of the future, and then you got the guy who's ultimately going to be able to, uh, you know, protect him. Hopefully he becomes that guy who's his protector for the majority of Justin Fields' career. But let's move to the defensive side of the ball. Defensive rookie of the year, who you got? I got – you might like this. I got Michael Parsons. I think that he's one of those guys that it's just – if not for him opting out and having those off-field problems, he'd be the first defensive player taken. I think people forgot what he did in 2019, and I think he just – his style of play is just immediately going to make an impact in the NFL. He's a great blitzing linebacker, which Devin White is as well. He can cover. He can run. What did he run? Four, four, low, run low four, four, I think. Yeah, it was a low four, four. Like for a linebacker, that's freakish. So, you know, I think he's going to come in and put some pressure on Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith and see the field immediately. And I think he's going to be all over the field. I could see him as like a 100 total tackle type guy with four picks, five sacks, a couple forced fumbles, you know, maybe a defensive touchdown in there and him having a breakout campaign in 2021. I just – I feel like he's he's a natural athlete and he has a nose for the ball, and I think that's just going to benefit him in the NFL, you know. So, yeah. uh, Michael Parsons is my guy. Yeah, I I want to go Michael Parsons, but I feel like I'll end up being too much of a homer by saying Michael Parsons. I'm going to go J.C. Horn. I've been all in on J.C. Horn. Obviously, you know, um, up into this draft, I was high on him in the mock draft and things like that. So I think J.C. Horn, I think he's that lockdown corner, and I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to show in Carolina. Matt Rule and them the past two drafts have kind of went all in on defense. They, I like what they did offense after they took J.C. Horn. They, their first pick was obviously defense. They focused on the defensive side of the ball last year. But then I like how they were able to manage to still get Terrace Marshall and then get Chuba Hubbard. We know Christian McCaffrey's coming off an injury, and we don't know about the longevity. But then they have a really good one-two punch. I do love what they did there. So I think J.C. Horn, I think Carolina's going to be pretty decent. So I think they're going to be a good enough team that you notice some of their players. Obviously, they have Christian McCaffrey, who's a fantasy, you know, He's like the number one pick in fantasy the past couple years. We know what he does. So people pay attention to Carolina enough for that. But I think they're going to be pretty decent because they have some storylines that people are going to pay attention. So you're going to watch some Panthers games. You want to see what Sam Darnold's going to do. You want to see Matt Rule in his second year. You know, you want to see what he could do with uh, what Darnold could do with those weapons. So I think it creates enough buzz around Carolina that you'll pay attention to what J.C. Horn does on the defensive side of the ball. And it's tough to say I'm never confident that rookie corners become lockdown corners right away. Like, I think he has Jalen Ramsey traits, but I don't want to people to hold weight and say he's the next Jalen Ramsey, and then they're going to judge him off that right off his rookie year. Because Trayvon Diggs started off real shaky, but then you look at how he ended, you know, over there in Dallas. He looked like the one quality corner that we had over there. He had a good end to the season as a corner, our defense actually looked a lot better towards the end of the season, and it didn't turn out to matter because our first three quarters of the season was so bad. But Diggs, after he came back from that injury, he looked really good. So I think J.C. Horn, he'll start ramping up towards the end of the season. You'll start noticing. But I agree with you on the Michael Parsons on everything you said, and I have to look at the fact he plays for the Dallas Cowboys. So when you see rookies and impact, and what they do on the field, Dallas plays. They're one of the team. Their most nationally televised games. You're gonna hear Michael Parsons' name every week. It's gonna happen. They're gonna open up probably Sunday night prime time against the Giants or or Philly. You know that's how it goes. The schedule's about to come out, but it is America's team. Jerry Jones is gonna create buzz around his players and around his team, good or bad. It doesn't matter. Even in a bad. Cowboys were the most talked about 6-10 team you've probably ever seen in history. And it was because they had a chance of winning their division uh, at 6-10. But they're just they're, they're going to be talked about, and Michael Parsons is going to get a lot of buzz. So I do think, I do agree. I won't be surprised. I think it'll be Michael Parsons or J.C. Horn. Don't, I, don't be surprised if Patrick Sertan is, is in that running also. I think those two corners and Michael Parsons, my dark horse will be Christian Barmore. And I, it's... It's, I don't think you'll really see a defensive tackle win defensive rookie of the year. It's just not a sexy pick when it's not named like Aaron Donald. You're not really going to be paying attention to a defensive tackle at rookie. But you had hit on him earlier, 
And you said it. Bill Belichick trusts the, the players he trusts the most is those guys coming from Nick Saban's system. He loves Alabama players. If there's a college coach that he would just take all his players if he could, they'd be the New England Crimson Tide because he would take every player that ever played for Alabama. Bill Belichick, I mean, I think Nick Saban is basically like the Bill Belichick of college football. You know, those are like the two greatest coaches in their perspective field of college and NFL. So, I think Christian Barmore could be a dark horse. I think you could find him like, and when I say dark horses, because if he has a lot of production, he could be that guy as a rookie who has seven, eight sacks and get talked about. He's in New England, another team who they're going to have a lot of nationally televised games. It is the New England Patriots. Their brand is still going to sell itself. I know it was built on the back of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, but now that he's gone, there's a lot of buzz. They spend a lot of money in free agency. So there's just a lot of buzz around New England, and we're kind of wanting to see what they do. They got Mac Jones. There's enough storylines. I believe rookie of the years can get on teams with storylines. Justin Justin Herbert won when really I think Justin Jefferson should have been the winner, but Justin Herbert's a quarterback. So when a quarterback plays that great, he's going to get the nod of anything. MVP, it doesn't matter. When a quarterback has an elite season of great, you know, greatest of all time type season or whatever, one of the best rookie seasons we've seen ever, you're going to get that nod as a quarterback. That's why more so year in, year out, we see quarterbacks as MVPs. They're the ones that get all the love when their team's winning. They're the ones that get all the hate when their team's losing. It falls on the line of the quarterback. We talk about Super Bowls, and the Bucks just won, and obviously it's Brady, 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 Brady. You know, the Chiefs won the year before. It's Mahomes, Mahomes, Mahomes. Like, had the 49ers have won the Super Bowl, it probably would have been – the narrative would have changed. Jimmy G might not have won, you know, the Super Bowl MVP, but he'd have been like an exception to the rule that, you know, I think I rem- one that stands out of my head is when Santonio Holmes won, you know, Super Bowl MVP, but he made the catch of all catches for them to win the Super Bowl. So that became, you know, a big deal. Obviously, Eli Manning, he had won a Super Bowl MVP when we didn't know if he really deserved it, but he was the quarterback that led his team to the Super Bowl and he played great throughout that playoffs. Didn't necessarily play the greatest in the Super Bowl, but he didn't lose his team the game. So obviously the quarterback gets a little more praise. So if Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or or Mac Jones or Zach Wilson, like I think on that offensive side of the ball, we talked about guys that weren't quarterbacks. But if any one of those guys have an elite season, they're winning rookie of the year on the offensive side of the ball. I just think Barmore could be somebody that Belichick's going to know what to do with him right away, and he could be a day one starter. I don't know because they did kind of get a couple defensive linemen in the offseason. So I don't know if the expectation is for him to be a day one starter. But like you said, he might have been the best defensive lineman in the draft. And he was able to go to New England. So I think he's going to fit in that system. Perfect. But any final thoughts before we close out the show? Uh, no, it's going to be, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to September. I'm ready for, what, May the 12th when the schedule comes out, and I'm ready mm-hmm. to get I'm ready to get to the season to see how these draft picks pan out. You know, we're excited about our teams and stuff, but we don't know if these guys are going to be bust or not. So, you know, that's the main thing I'm looking forward to. And just looking forward to these rookies, you know, seeing what rookies produce and what what rookie we slept on. We talked about maybe Mac Jones. You know, that's that's a hot take for me. As much as we slander my, Mac Jones, I think he's going to be fine in New England. Not on the, you know, maybe, maybe potentially one day getting the Super Bowl, but I think he's just going to, he's going to be above average. Yeah, I think it's just he landed. With quarterbacks, it's all about, you know, where you land. And I think for the most part, I think a lot of these guys landed in good situations. I would say whoever landed in New York really wasn't going to land in a good situation. But I look at how they built the team and they put some weapons around them. Obviously, I don't expect the Jets to be that good. But they look like they're all in on Zach Wilson and they're going to put some weapons around them. I think Fields... And Chicago was like a match made in heaven. I think Trey Lance in San Francisco was perfect. And obviously, I think, you know, Trevor Lawrence playing with the offensive-minded coach like Urban Meyer, I think that's perfect. You know he loves offense. Obviously, all his teams in college were great offensively. It's a different adjustment in the NFL. But like I said, he's a perfect coach for today's NFL because we're in an offensive league now. And I think Trevor Lawrence will be just fine playing under Urban Meyer uh, obviously, they got some weapons. I think a lot. All, I think all the quarterbacks panned out going in good situations. Zach Wilson probably got it the worst, but I don't think that's the worst thing to say because they do look like they're all in and they're going to build around them over the next couple of years. So don't be surprised if you know they're really bad and they take the most elite offensive weapon uh, going into next season, whoever that may be. 
You have to tune into the network to see who we think that is this time next year. But that, bro, I appreciate you for coming on. Always great talking football with you. But I'm going to give you the floor, bro. Tell everybody where they can find you and any future projects you got coming up you want to share with us. Yes, sir. Appreciate it, bro. You know, always been coming on talking football. But you guys can find me at What the Game Means to Me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Me and Jelani coming out with the episode sometime this week with another, you know, episode similar to this, recapping the draft and et cetera. And we're going to be having some guests in the future. So you guys, you know, tune in. And shout out to Mo on the, uh, you know, the Manscaped uh, little deal in the baby. So, you know, shout out Appreciate to Mo. It. And I uh, look forward to collabing with you in the future, bro. Yeah, 100%. I mean, no, bro, you know, you always more than welcome. You ever, you know, you ever want to talk about something? You want to get on Up in Flames? I know you do your thing over there. What the game means to me with Jelani. Y'all make sure y'all go check that out. It's a really great podcast. Everybody who listens to me, you'll enjoy listening to them just as much, if not more, than listening to me and my ranting and raving sometimes that I go on. But they're, they're a dynamic duo. They do their thing. Them, Steven and Austin and breaking the game. When I look at duos and guys that are – Perfect fits on, on our network, Jerg and Bars. Those are, you know, some great guys that just match up well. And what the game means to me is right there with everybody else. So definitely go check that out. Y'all know where to find me at Up and Flames Pod, Twitter, Instagram, Mo underscore Cheese 15, Twitter, Instagram for my personal account. I appreciate everybody who tuned in to today's live episode of Up and Flames. And on that note, Up and Flames.